Hey, my name is Lauren Frieder, and my husband Drew and I are lead pastors at Lift Church. We are on the eastern shore of Maryland. We want to thank you so much for joining us today, and we are believing that you will get a lift of encouragement. Last week I talked about living on the hills. This week I want to talk a little bit more about living in the valleys, or rather walking through the valleys. Let's start by this. This, uh, this is interaction, online and in person. Raise your hand if you hate to argue. Come on. If you just, I, it's the last thing I want to do is to argue. That means if you're not raising your hand, you're like, I love to argue. Bring it on. Come on. Yeah. How many of y'all raising your hands are like nine on the Enneagrams or S on the disc test? You're just like, listen, I'm a peacemaker. I like my peace. I run away from conflict as far as I can get. I know a, a peacemaker or two, and the Bible says, blessed are the peacemakers because, man, isn't life lovely around them? But sometimes there's a lot of strife underneath, right? And so many of us have gotten accustomed to fighting, and um, um, we, we deal with fights. Now, if you're any, if most of us feel this way when you get into a fight, especially a marital fight. Now, this is an equal opportunity relationship message. You can apply what I am sharing today into uh, your relationships with family members, your spouse, your kids, your parents, your co-workers, your friends, your BFFs. You can, you can apply this message to anyone today, so I hope you're taking notes. But um, many, especially those in married situations, whenever they begin the fight, they start the enemy starts showing up and they start filling you with doubts like, is this even worth it? Should we be fighting in the first place? Why do we fight so much if we, quote unquote, love each other so much? Like, should we be fighting at all? Is it a sign we have fallen out of love? I know my wife and I, have, we try to be as transparent as possible. We've, we've had fights before, and, and the thought was, shouldn't we be better than this? As, as pastors, shouldn't we have, uh, and, and especially as Christians, shouldn't we have like a, a peace, blessed are the peacemaker forevermore, and every married person longer than six months, every married person longer than six weeks says, okay, that ain't real, right? We, we have some fights. Now, clinically speaking, I, I, I've done some research, fights are not a... Uh, discouraging sign. In fact, uh, to have a fight with your partner is, is, is what Paul taught in Scripture. He said this. Paul said um, in 1 Corinthians 7, 28, those who marry will, say will, will face troubles in this life. I just blessed a few of y'all. Okay. You're saying, okay, my marriage ain't broken. Me, you know, just because me and my friend fight so much, that doesn't mean things are broken. Because there's a promise that there will be fights whenever we, we, we are together for so long. And we're sharing space and we're, we're in each other's uh, uh, businesses. But now there is a difference in fighting fairly and fighting harmfully. But the Bible says you will have fights. You're, you're, you're going to have them. Paul said, if you get married, you, you, you are lost in the clouds as a hopeless romantic if you think we'll never fight. That's not the way you should think. Now, fighting is not a sign that anything's broken. In fact, it's a sign that both parties are still emotionally invested in such a way that we're willing to fight for this. Like, we, we're, 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 we're engaged. We're emotionally engaged. Fighting's not the biggest discouragement in a relationship. Stonewalling is. 
Stonewalling is when one of the spouses or when one person in a relationship decides, this ain't worth it anymore. I'm just not going to respond. You've emotionally checked out. That is what researchers say is the last step before divorce. Not fighting. It is actually stonewalling. And we'll talk about the second to last step right here. Stonewalling is the sense of no, I'm done. It's not even worth it. I'm not even going there anymore. Nothing I say gets through to you. Therefore, I'm just not going around the horn one more time. I just still faced. What does stonewalling do to relationships? Well, in 1970s, uh, Dr. Uh, Tronic was doing an experiment on uh, parents with their babies. And this is what he asked in the 70s. He asked the mother, would you bring in your child? Your child's less than one year old to be a part of this experiment and this study. And, and they brought him into a controlled room and they asked the mother to, to please play with your child the way you regularly would for about three minutes. Then when, we, when three minutes is up, we want you to turn away and then we want you to go stonewalled towards your kid, emotionless. Don't respond to their highs. Don't respond to their lows. We want to study their reactions. This is a video of what it looks like that they found out from the research. Show this. That we started studying probably 30, 40 years ago when people didn't think that infants could engage in social interaction. In this still face experiment, what the mother did was she sits down and she's playing with her baby who's about a year of age. I need my care. And she gives a greeting to the baby. The baby gives a greeting back to her. This baby starts pointing at different places in the world, and the mother's trying to engage her and play with her. They're working to coordinate their emotions and their intentions, what they want to do in the world. And that's really what the baby is used to. And then we ask the mother to not respond to the baby. The baby very quickly picks up on this. And then she uses all of her abilities to try and get the mother back. She smiles at the mother. She points because she's used to the mother looking where she points. The baby puts both hands up in front of her and says, what's happening here? She makes that screechy sound at the mother, like, come on, why aren't we doing this? Even in this two minutes when they don't get the normal they react with negative emotions. They turn away. They feel the stress of it. They actually may lose control of their posture because of the stress that they're experiencing. stuff that goes on that we all do with our kids the bad is when something bad happened but the infant can overcome it after all when we stop the still face the mother and the baby start to play again the ugly is when you don't give the child any chance to get back to the good there's no reparation and they're stuck in 
that really ugly situation. So that's the still faced experiment. How many of y'all need a tissue to wipe a crying eye right now? <laughs> Listen, it's, it's, it's so heart-wrenching to watch it because a baby doesn't know how to filter their emotions. That doesn't mean it's any less true for you and I that the moment we get stonewalled, we're doing kind of what that baby is doing transparently. On the inside, we're going, what's the matter? Is it my breath? Do, 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 am I, did I say something wrong? Do I not look right? Uh, um, um, why aren't we still engaging? Why aren't we still playing? Why aren't we still talking? Why aren't we still? And it, and it causes havoc inside the home. Now, this is an age-old problem that even the Bible highlights and speaks to that you don't want to go through the valley of a relationship without paying attention to the direction God gives you through it. So let's look at um, a relationship in 2 Samuel chapter 6. If you've got your Bible, open it up to 2 Samuel chapter 6. And I want to go with you to a case study of a marriage who never quite gets it right. They have to walk from the mountaintops of a great relationship into the valleys of a difficult time and what is unfortunate for this couple is they never come out of it we need to prevent that in our lives and we need to learn from it David is going to be the king of the Israelites and right now in this point of the story he is um, the right-hand man to King Saul but King Saul doesn't like him very much in fact King Saul's envious of David and wants him dead and and so he, he tells uh, uh, David, if you go kill like hundreds of thousands of Philistines, I'll give you my oldest daughter in marriage. And David doesn't think he's worthy enough to be in the royal family. So he says uh, he passes on the opportunity because he thinks little of himself. The opportunity comes back around where Saul says, I'll give you my second daughter, Michal, if you go kill hundreds of Philistines. David knew that God would be with him. He killed Philistines. He came back, and Saul's like, oh, crap. I like got to give him my daughter now. And so David marries Michal. How, how great does Michal have to feel about herself, right? Daddy offered my oldest sister first. I'm just the second prize. And so they're in a relationship now. And the Bible does talk about them having mountaintop moments together. It's hard to believe this is a mountaintop, but the two worked together when King Saul, Michael's, Michal's dad, tried to kill Michal's husband, David, by, by sending uh, people in the night to come get him. But Michal helped him out of the window. David escaped, and Michal pulled off the trick before any of y'all thought of it by putting uh, a, a straw in the bed in the shape of a body and making people think, look, David's right there sleeping in bed. And they didn't touch David for a long time until King Saul got angry. Michal and David worked together to save his life. They were partnering together. They were teammates. They must have had some mountaintop moments, but the Bible talks about an inevitable valley that they went through and it happens one day when King David is going to get the ark the most coveted possession it represents the presence of God is finally going to come home back where it belongs with the people of God and so David gets the ark and the first time he tried it failed and someone died because of it and so David decides this time I'm worshiping like crazy I'm throwing caution to the wind I'm going to sacrifice every six steps I'm just I'm just gonna I, I don't know if it was six or nine 
not, but six doesn't sound like the right number. Some of y'all are going, six is the number of the devil. Yeah, I'm wrong about that, but he sacrificed a lot of animals that day, and he's just going crazy, and the Bible records in verse 16, it says, as the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michal, the daughter of Saul, watched from a window, and when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. Why would she despise this man? Well, the Bible says this in verse four, tells us in verse 14, she despised him because he was wearing only a linen ephod, or he was wearing, as some translations say, a priestly tunic. In other words, it, it was less than the standard of a king. It's not regal enough. I didn't marry no commoner. I married a king. I am a queen. And I don't feel like a queen when you go out there acting like one of those regulars out there. My pride's hurt. My feelings are hurt. And you showed way too much skin. Come on. The linen ephod, we did some research on it. It probably stopped right here. She's like, you showed your upper calves to all them women out there. That's my skin. They saw your leg hair. You're not acting like a king. You're not, not dressing good enough. You're not acting right. Now how, many, now, how many households have not had this argument before? Come on. Your lady's looking all nice. She's looking all sweet and fantastic. She's all fine. You come rolling downstairs. She's like, you going like that? <laughs> you can't wear athletic bottoms with formal tops. Those don't work together. You can't wear formal bottoms and athletic tops. You can't wear brown with black. You, you, can, you can't wear a hoodie. Come on. I'm all dressed up nice like this. And if you haven't had it in your relationship, you, you're probably lying. Anyway, or, or you've had it with your kids, right? Come on. Any daddies of some daughters had to say, you ain't coming down here like that. <laughs> March yourself back up there and cover up them. them you, you, upper calves, you trying to show your upper knees. We ain't having that up in this house. Mikhail said, you might as well have been naked, the maiden woman. And then you're dancing around like, like somebody like some foolish person. You don't look like no king. I married a king. Act like a king. David didn't like it very much. This doesn't sound like a, a fight that's going to go well. David stepped into the valley, and he didn't make things much better. Scripture lets us listen into their bedroom argument. I wonder if some of their attendants were kind of like, ooh, this is juicy, come on. And leaned into the doorway, and they're like, hey, write this down. Somebody's going to want to hear this, that their marriage is jacked up just like some other people's marriage are jacked up. And it says this, David retorted. Oh, you know he's mad if they're going to use the word retort. I'm about to retort to you, woman. <laughs> David retorted to Michal, I was dancing before the Lord who chose me. <laughs> he chose me instead of your father and all your family. Now, how many men know that probably wasn't the wisest first response? God picked me and not your daddy. And you know what? All y'all brothers and nephews ain't cousins and brothers. They ain't nothing compared to me. And the wives are going, this ain't the way to start right. This is not going well. Well, David digs into the valley even more. He appointed me as is to say, not you, Michal. He appointed me as the leader of Israel, the people of the Lord. So I will celebrate before the Lord however I want. 
Yes, I am willing to look even more foolish than this, even to be humiliated in my own eyes. But those servant girls you mentioned will indeed think I'm distinguished. Come on, he's getting, he's retorting. (laughs) You're like, oh, that's definitely a retort, whatever that means. And so Michal, the daughter of Saul, listen to these next two words, remained childless throughout her entire life. Let me break that down for you. That means David no longer appeared to her. He basically stonewalled her and he said, I'll move on. If this is how you're going to treat me, I'll move on. He could not ever get to a point of reconciliation. She could not. And so she lived a fruitless future. And we could make an argument that this was the climax of King David's days because his relationship in his family situation was jacked up from here on out. It messed her up. It messed him up. And they never came out of the rift of the relational valley that they walked into that day. I want to learn from this. I want us all to learn from this, that you will walk on hilltops, you will also walk through valleys, but we are going to walk with our good shepherd that though I walk through the darkest of valleys, I shall fear no evil, for my God is with me and his rod and staff comfort me. We're walking through this valley. We're not camping here. We're not living here. We're not getting stuck here. Things are not the best at the very moment, but we coming out of this valley. Can I get an amen? Mikal's pride was hurt. He felt disrespected. She became critical. He withdrew, and he stonewalled. This plays out in so many households, and sometimes we just mask it from everybody else, but we know that right now things are not right, and are we going to make it out of this valley, or are we just calling it quits? And so how, I entitled Hills and Valleys Part 4, How to Live in the Valleys. Maybe I should have entitled it How to Walk Out the Valleys. I want to share with you one more passage of scripture to help you understand that when you get into the valleys, you are not alone. I want to give props to to Jordy. He was playing drums today. He's one of our Lyft College students. And as a part of Lyft College, they hang out parts of the week with us and they grow alongside of us and they even contribute. And that's what I love about our college. You don't have to wait till you get a degree to make an impact. You can make an impact today. So if you're thinking about college options, check out Lyft College. We got a accredited associates, bachelor's, and master's degrees, and I love getting to spend time with our students. We were in a meeting together, and he said, you know, when I think about Hills and Valleys, 1 Kings 20 comes to mind, and I said, let's look at it together. And so today, I want to share with you real quick that though Satan loves the valleys, he loves when we're in those valley moments to to separate you, he loves to convince you that you're abandoned there, that you're too far gone, you must be out of the will of God. Come on, you can't be no Christian if you're going to be in a valley like this or a relational valley. You screwed up, and God can't even reach you where you're at. And there is no greater lie than the lie I just exposed, but we've all heard it, have we not? You're in a valley uh, valley of a relationship with your boss. He says, it's over. Find a new job. In a valley of a relationship with your kids, it's like, I'm not talking to them until they talk to me. You get in a valley of a relationship with your spouse, and, and we get cold towards another, each other. But I want you to remember this. We don't have to fear in the footsteps of the valley, for our God is a God of both the hills and the valleys. 1 Kings 20 describes a fight between um, the Arameans and the Israelites. 
Now, the Israelites are God's people, and the Aramaeans try to attack the Israelites. They talk up a big, nasty game. You should read it. They talk in trash like nobody else's business, and they're like, we're going to blow you Israelites out. You might as well hang it up. Y'all done. And, and God shows up, and the Israelites defeat the Aramaeans on the mountaintops of Samaria. The Aramaeans decide, we're going to regroup. And here's their conversation as they regroup. It says in verse 23, The officials of the king of Aram advised him, Their gods are the gods of the hills. That is why they were too strong for us. But if we fight on the plains, if we get them on lower elevation, if we hit them when they're not on such a high, they can't be stopped. I mean, they can't win. Surely we will be stronger than they. Verse 25 says, there's not a shadow of a doubt that we will beat them. They're getting quite cocky again. They're saying, in other words, their God protects them when they're on the mountaintops, when they're right with God, when they do everything right, when they got perfect attendance, when they're speaking lovely, peace, forgiveness, joy, all the fruits of the Spirit pouring out. Yeah, you can't touch them. But when they start getting jacked up, when they get on lower elevation, their God doesn't fight for them anymore. Let's go attack them in the valleys. And this is... Isn't that so like Satan? Sometimes he'll leave you alone when you're on the mountaintops. You're in a great small group. He'll leave you alone for a little bit. Your marriage is going great. He'll leave you alone for a month or two. And then something happens. Just one fight, and all of a sudden you're like, ah. Why? Because Satan loves to say, ah, you screwed up. You're not coming back from this one. This valley's too deep. Verse 23 says, oh, we just read that. (laughs) Verse 28 says this, what should we believe when we're in the valley? Verse 28 says, the man of God came up and told the king of Israel, this is what the Lord says. Because the Aramaeans think that the Lord is a God of the hills and not a God of the valleys, I will deliver you. I'm going to deliver this vast army into your hands and you will know that I am the Lord. Go ahead and tell your neighbor through the valley. Go ahead and tell him through the valley. You are going to know the power of God. Sometimes it takes walking through a valley to realize how good our God is. He's a saving God. He's a graceful God. He's a heroic God. He's a strong God. He's a caring God. And sometimes you deal with 400 years of captivity in Egypt to figure out the fact that he is a saving God who can handle all my strongholds and troubles. He's a deliverer. And he says, you're going to know it today. The Israelites went out, inflicted 100,000 casualties on the Aramean foot soldiers. Someone say, hoorah. And the rest of them escaped to the city of Aphek, where a wall accidentally collapsed on 27,000 of them. Some accident. I feel like God was saying this. I'm going to empower you to defeat 100,000 of your enemies, and then I'll take care of the rest. It'll just happen supernaturally, but either way, you can trust me, because look at God. He protects on the hills, and he protects on the valleys. He can be trusted when we are at our highest highs, and when we are at our lowest lows. He's a God of the hills and a God of the valleys, and we are not alone. I walk among the shadows, you wipe my tears away. 
I've seen the pain and heartbreak, and I've seen a brighter day. I pray praise to heaven from my lowest place. I have felt your blessing, God, you give and take away. No matter what I am, your grace is enough. No matter where I am, I'm standing in your love. On the mountains, I will bow my life to the one who sent me there. In the valley, I will lift my eyes to the one who sees me there. When I'm standing on the mountain, I can't get there on my own when I'm walking through the valley I know I am not alone you're the God of the hills and valleys hills and valleys God of the hills and valleys and I am not alone and I've watched my dreams get broken in you I hope no matter what, I know I'm safe inside your hands. On the mountain top, about my life to the one who sent me there. In the valley, I will lift my eyes to the one who sees me there. When I'm standing on the mountain, I didn't get there on my own. When I'm walking through the valley, I no, I am not alone. You're God of the hills and valleys, hills and valleys. God of the hills and valleys, and I am not alone. Father, you give and take away every joy and every pain. Through it all, you will remain over it all. Father, you give and take away every joy and every pain. Through it all, you will remain over it all. On the mountains, I will bow my life. In the valley, I will live my eyes. Standing on the mountain, I didn't get there on my own. When I'm walking through the valley, I know I am not alone. No, I'm not alone. And I know that I am not alone. You're God of the hills and valleys. Hills and valleys, God of the hills and valleys, and I am not alone, God of the hills, you're God of the valleys, you're God of the hills and valleys, and I am not alone. Come on, can we praise God right now?
Can we praise God? Come on. So our God is not abandoning us when we go through the relational valleys. That doesn't mean we love the relational valleys. Many of us are saying, okay, cool. God is with me. I am not alone, but I still don't like him, and I want to get out of Dodge as quickly as possible. Let me give you one or two practical steps to, to, to get out of the valleys as soon as possible. In fact, write this down. Forgiveness is the fastest way out of your relational valleys. Forgiveness is the fastest way out of your relational valleys. Whenever we stonewall, we're at the point where we're no longer going to forgive and we're no longer believing that there's much hope. But when God's in it, there's hope. And if we'll continue to forgive, we're going to bring, bring healing to one another and we're going to make it through this valley. Come on. We shouldn't be scared of the valleys for our God is with us. And forgiveness is a spiritual discipline too. Jesus says this in Matthew 6, 14 and 15. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father is also going to forgive you of the worst of the worst things you've done. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. First time I heard that scripture, I thought, wait, what? Yeah, perk up and listen. Your Father will not forgive you if you're going to harbor unforgiveness in your heart. Which means we got to do what is seemingly impossible at times. We've got to ask for forgiveness when we don't want to. We've got to forgive others who are unforgivable. Because I was even worse as an unforgivable person. Can you relate to that too? Our God is the God who says, no matter what you've done, I will forgive you of it. What your neighbor has done is far less than your cumulative sins added up. I know you've been done wrong by, but our God says, I am the God of justice. You leave it to me, and you walk in forgiveness. The, one day, the disciples said, Jesus, could you teach us how to pray on the regular? And he says, yes, pray like this. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth that is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who sin against us. In other words, forgive me and it's the same ratio that I forgive others. And that's what Jesus says as well. For Mikal, her inability to apologize left an empty hole in her life for the rest of her life. And for David, you could make an argument he was jacked up the rest of his life too. Things didn't go well with his next wife. Things didn't go well with uh, his sons. And things were jacked up. He, I, I wonder if he wasn't still suffering from emotional heartbreak. Of a valley that was never left behind out of his soul. So here, real quick, five guidelines for forgiveness. I'm going to fly through these, so write these down quick. I'm not going to camp on them long, but I do want to give you some practical help. If forgiveness is the fastest way out of our valleys, how do we do it? Here's five things I've learned about forgiveness. Number one, go first. Quit waiting until they come to you first. Many people like to compete. Who can hold out the longest? But I don't think God will ever applaud you one day going, <laughs> you didn't talk to him for four days. That's like a new record. Proud of you, girl. He ain't going to say that. But if you lay down your life first, he's going to say, no greater love is there than this, than he who lays down his life for a friend. Instead of competing to see who can hold out the longest, compete to see who can surrender the fastest. 
I beat you to it. No, 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 no. You be quiet. Let me talk first. I'm sorry. I'm sorry first. I'm sorry first. Right? Isn't that going to be a healthy marriage? Come on. Kenton, you got a marriage small group. Isn't that going to be a healthy marriage if you say, no, 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 I, no, no, no. Let me say it first. I apologize first. You can't go wrong if you apologize first. Write this down. You can be right or you can be right. You want to be right or the two of you, we want to be right. You could be right or you could be right. Number two, say it in person. Don't be a habitual apologizer via text. We don't know your emotions. You can't, you could be over there going, I am so sorry. We're thinking, oh, they said they're sorry. Right? Listen, don't habitually apologize at a distance. Don't do it through the phone. Sometimes we need to see you with your eyes. I need to see it in your eyes when you apologize. Quit hiding behind a device and do it in person. Come on. Maybe a device works on a shallow thing, but on the deep things, look at them in the eye and apologize. And if distance is a problem, that's why God created FaceTime. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> anyway, don't make excuses. Go sooner rather than later, even if proximity is a problem. Number three, be specific. You know, if the goal of forgiveness is to bring healing to the relationship, they will be healed to hear you say what you did and acknowledge what feelings you may have stirred up and caused. When you, when you say things like, I, you know, what I said was not the smartest thing. I didn't mean it that way. But when I said it that way, I can imagine it took confidence from you. It probably robbed you of insecurity. It probably felt so low. I am so sorry for the, the, the words that I used just now. Will you forgive me? I've acknowledged what I've done, and I've acknowledged the feelings I stirred up right this this will help relationships period somebody gets laid off you don't go oh there's better days you know and, and that's cool but but just like man this that must have been a hard blow that's a difficult day but i am going to lift you up in prayer and i'm going to be with you come on touch people's feelings first number four don't defend yourself Excuses and denials of responsibility are what defensiveness is. And you remember how I said stonewalling is the last step before divorce? According to research, defensiveness is the second to last step. When one of you becomes over and overly defensive, making excuses and justifying everything and denying all responsibility, that is a dangerous place to be. I say it this way, get off the you train and get on the I train. Instead of you do this all the time and you made me feel this way and I don't know why you da 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 da, instead of starting your sentences with you, start them with I. I feel like when this happens, it causes problems with us. You see how that, that allows your partner who may be struggling with defensiveness to unpack the weapons because I'm not attacking you. I'm telling you, I feel like when this happens, issues are arising, right? I can lay down weapons and I can respond without going, oh yeah, well when you do it to me. <laughs> no, that doesn't help. Y'all are looking at me like y'all haven't had those conversations. Number five, don't justify don't, call, don't, don't explain to minimize your responsibility. I know that there was traffic, but you can still own the fact that there was traffic, but I could have left earlier. You could have said, I know I was tired, but I was also wrong, right? Sometimes explanations, 
we get it, but we don't want to see you push all responsibility as you apologize off to some other circumstance. You own it. So those are just five uh, guidelines that I've learned in forgiveness that has helped me, and you can do it. God is walking with you through the valleys. Satan wants to stop you from forgiving because he's got you exactly where he wants. He likes the rift. He likes the separation. But when you start saying, I think I'm going to forgive, and this is a God idea, God will walk through you and give you courage to do it. Why? Because it's going to bring healing. And God is the God of the valleys, and he knows how to win that war too. Can I get an amen up in here? Come on. God, I pray over every relationship, every relationship, I want to zone in on marriages, and Father, I pray for the marriages that have already experienced stonewalling. Maybe they've felt like the baby. Maybe they have felt like the parent stonewalling. Father, anywhere that this has happened, Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you would bring healing into there, that your Holy Spirit would work on our hearts and soften them to respond in love and forgiveness, that there would be a restoration that happens. You're a God of redemption and restoration. Let it begin today. Anyone who is flirted with those thoughts of stonewalling. I pray, Father, that they don't go there and instead have a newfound hope to lean into God and His direction so that we see life and life everlasting happen in these relationships in Jesus' name. Thank you for equipping us. Father, even relationships beyond marriage, maybe parents who haven't talked in a long time, siblings haven't talked, kids, I've heard of kids even being stonewalled by parents. Father, I ask for restoration in Jesus' name. Let the prodigals come home. Maybe the son, the prodigal son stonewalled. Let them come home through forgiveness in Jesus' name. I pray softening of hearts and that we would represent you well in every step we take. In Jesus' name I pray. And everyone said, amen. And with your head still bowed and your eyes still closed, the most important relationship I care about today is your relationship with God. How are you with God? Are you on a mountaintop? Praise God for that. I know you've put in time and effort and, 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 and more than just that, you've just leaned into his love. Are you on a valley? Come on, I've been in the valleys before too. Sometimes the valley was just a tough season in life. Other times the valley was self-inflicted. It was my own sin I was living in and I knew I was far from God. I felt far from God. I felt if I appeared before God today, it would not go well. We have a rift between us, and I caused it. It was my sin. If you're that way, I want to tell you that God wants to bring healing to the relationship right now. It's called repentance by believing in the Son, Jesus Christ. Listen to what 1 John 1 says as we close. We should agree that we have done wrong things and tell that to God. Then God will forgive us of our sins. He will forgive us and he will make us clean again. Whatever bad things we may have done, God says that all people have done wrong things. So let's not act like we haven't done wrong things. It shows that we have not accepted this message at all when we act that way. So I say this, you're not alone. I've done wrong things. Every person in this room's done wrong things. 
But if you know that I'm sitting on wrong things, I'm not right with God. With every head bowed, every eye closed, and you say, it's time to confess it and get right with God. Raise your hand high up into the sky and say, Pastor Drew, include me in that prayer. I got to get right with God. Come on, just slip your hand up in the air right now. I thank you so much for the hands that I'm seeing right now. Even people online, you can click the button and say, include me in that decision. If you don't see the button, uh, then just say, I'm in on that too. I'm in on that too. Father, I pray over every single person raising their hand, restoration in Jesus' name. Now you pray it with me. Come on, the whole church, even the church at home, let's say it together. Say, Father, I give you my life. I am a sinner. I have made mistakes. I have fallen short. I've messed up. But I thank you that I can be free through Jesus Christ who died for me and paid my price. I am a new person. The old is gone. I am forgiven. You come live in my life, God. I give you permission to call the shots as I follow you all my days. Help me to live for you. In Jesus' name I pray. And the whole church erupted as we said, amen and amen.